Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside... Connor Balthazar. And today, we're going to be doing our weekly recap segment. And uh, two things. Firstly, I apologize for how I sound. I may or may not have COVID. Uh, and by may or may not, I it is verified that I do have COVID. But I will clear all protocols in time for the KU game, thankfully. I haven't been running a fever in several days. So, it's all good. And secondly, that's also why <laughs> this isn't the first official episode of the video podcast where you can see us sitting together because I still am in quarantine. The quarantine literally gets over with Friday. So, uh, or Saturday. No, Saturday morning. Saturday morning. Sorry. Sorry for that mistake. Uh, now that that life update that no one really cared about is over, we can get into the weekly recap. Firstly, starting in the recruiting realm. And this was one of the most low-key transfers that we've ever had to cover. Maybe even the most low-key recruit that we've had to cover in the football realm. But it is the it is the transfer of Sean Robinson, a safety from Missouri, my old school of choice to root for in college. And what do you have about Sean Robinson, Connor? Yeah, Sean Robinson, he's a safety. He was a quarterback. He was a TCU a long time ago. He was the Gatorade Player of the Year in Texas, his first year out of high school. He was a four-star out of high school, really highly regarded recruit. Chose Gary Patterson. Didn't really stick around, though. So now he's a safety, or he was a safety at Mizzou. And now he's coming here. Uh, his profile, he's a high, high upside athlete. He's an elite-level athlete, I would say. Uh, but he's just very young relative to the safety position because he's only played it for about a year now. So it's it's definitely a a bit of a flyer pick, at least in terms of uh, what they may have taken last year, like with Russ Yeast and Julius Brents. But the upside is absolutely there. And if he's somebody that can be molded into a high-quality starter, uh, he has all the potential in the world just because of his raw athleticism. And also, he has great knowledge of the game just from being a quarterback for so long. So he's going to have excellent safeties converted to quarterbacks, or quarterbacks converted to safeties, rather. They're a sneaky good switch for a position just because uh, that safety, they're going to be able to eye the quarterback and have a pretty good idea of what's going on in their head just from being on the other side of the ball for so long. So it'll be interesting to see what Sean Robinson can can, can uh, contribute next year, but I think he's going to be a plug-and-play starter. Yeah, I do as well, mostly because of that. He's a nutty athlete, and uh, I guess if we ever need an emergency quarterback, if a catastrophe occurs, I don't know, maybe we'll put in Max Marsh. He's also a defensive back. <laughs> he's doing the exact same transformation, though. You know, from quarterback to defensive back. So basically what I'm saying is Max Marsh is going to be the next Sean Robinson. <clears throat> he might just be. People are saying it. People who know Many and many people have been saying that Max yeah. Marsh is going to start both ways next year. Yeah, Ironman athlete at KSU. But that's pretty much all we have to talk about in recruiting. The next one is, I know Connor's really excited for this segment, but for his sake... We shortened the track and field segment to just say what the team did overall. So, uh, actually, we'll just we'll just both cover it since it's literally one line. 
It was the Kansas, Kansas State, and Wichita State triangular meet, and K-State ended up taking first overall with a number of first-place finishes in the 60-meter dash, 200-meter dash, 400-meter dash, second place in the 600-yard run, and several other notable finishes in several other events. I don't want this to take 35 years, but there are a number of events that K-State performed really well in and ended up getting first in the triangular meet. So congratulations to the track and field team. And I know Connor's really happy because that didn't take 30 minutes. (laughs) Yes, I am a lot happier with the track and field segment being the way it is now because that first one was just an absolute disaster. But... (laughs) You know, it's a lot easier when there's only three teams, so. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> so, next up is women's basketball, and f- this first one is, well, the rest of the episode, it's, it's kind of like the inverted last week's episode, where we're going to start on a little bit of a downer, but then we just have this sandwich of just, just really good, just prime rib, just great news in the middle of the show. But before we get to that, we have to talk about the women's basketball matchup against Texas Tech in Lubbock, which I'll just give you the score and then Connor can elaborate on how bad it didn't go our way because we ended up losing 45-64 to against a really, really mediocre to bad Texas Tech squad. Yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot to write home about this game other than it was just absolutely atrocious uh in pretty much every facet that you can think of they were able to cut the lead to 10 at the end of the third quarter but then they went on to score exactly two points in the entire fourth quarter and that was with five and a half minutes to go and then they didn't score uh from 45 points for the remaining five minutes and 36 seconds and this was just an awful game uh from a k-state perspective they started off terrible only scored seven points compared to Texas Tech's 23 in the first quarter. Even things up in the second quarter in terms of scoring. Won the third quarter by a sizable margin, and then they just completely lost control in the fourth quarter, and they did not play well at all. Clearly, they're still reeling from the loss to Iowa State. Uh, Serena Sundell was really inefficient. Uh, 4-13 from the field, 2-5 from three. Made both her free throws. She had four assists to just three turnovers, but you'd like to see more assists from her. Uh, just 12 points steal from her. Aokalia, 12 points and 8 rebounds, so not quite a double-double. She had 3 blocks. Uh, she had 4 fouls as well, so she did kind of struggle with foul trouble. Only 6-12 on field goals. You'd really like to see a lot more out of Aokalia than what we got. Because, I mean, in Aokalia scoring 12 points a game, we're not going to win many games in the Big no, 12. We're not going to win The Glenn any. Twins. <laughs> or any, honestly, yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, both the Glenn Twins, both of them were very underwhelming. Uh... Jalen put up five. Bradley put up two. They each had three rebounds. Other than that, they didn't really do a whole lot. Emily Ebert did not score in 19 minutes. Uh, Rebecca Dollinger won two of ten from the field, two of seven from three, and just had six points. Uh, Mackie added five. Simone Goodrich added three. Other than that, no other points added for the Wildcats. They just really struggled beginning to end. Uh, with the exception of the third quarter where it shot 57% from the field and 60% from three. But a great quarter like that just goes to show you how awful they play the rest of the game when they have such an efficient quarter. And they still lose by almost 20 points to a not very good Texas Tech squad. 
they went one of 17 shooting in the fourth quarters, an abysmal 6%, and didn't make a single three point shot on eight attempts. Uh, Vivian Gray for Texas Tech dropped 23, 11 and 22 from the field, did not make a single three pointer, but still had 23. And then Bryn Gerlich added 16. Uh, Kadia Fay added 11 for Texas Tech. Texas Tech just shot out of their minds in this game, and you're just going to have days where your opponent's just going to shoot incredible. I mean, they were 45% from the field, 45% from three. You're not going to win a lot of games when, you're, when your opponent's shooting like that, but you'd like to at least see K-State come close to matching that, and they just kind of rolled over and died in this game. It was a really uninspiring performance. Yeah. And it's disappointing to see from a team that had been doing so well for quite a long time. They beat a really good Baylor squad. They took an excellent Iowa State team down to the wire, and then they just lay an egg against a honestly bad Texas Tech team. Yeah. yeah I, I think the, the best part or uh, the worst part about this this egg that they collectively laid is the field goal percentage of 28.6%. I, I don't... I don't think you could beat a rec team with that shooting percent. Yeah, that's pretty rough. And that's with Aoka Lee shooting 50% on her own, which is a bad day for her. So, I mean, you take Aoka Lee out of there, that's uh, six makes. I mean, yeah, take Aoka Lee out, and the team made 12 shots total out of 51. I don't know what the exact math on that is, but it's a little worse than 25%, somewhere between 20 and 25 yeah, it's pretty rough. I mean, there there's no way around it, but this is by far the worst game that they played the entire year. Not not even particularly close. Twenty three and a half, by the way. Yeah. I mean they played better against the number one and number two ranked teams in the country than they did against eight and seven Texas Tech, which yeah. is I guess that means I, I, I don't Texas understand. Tech's goaded now. I I guess so. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Just hopefully just a complete outlier for the performance. Uh, at least that's what the next game indicated. Yeah. And now we can get into the part of the episode that's really exciting. Because we have this and then we have... Well, everyone knows what's after this. But now we can talk about the women's edition of the Sunflower Showdown. Which was held in Bramlage Coliseum yesterday. And it was a victory in favor of your Kansas State Wildcats, once again proving in another sport that we own this state, and there's just another Kansas school who happens to play in the state. And it was a 69-61 victory for the Kansas State women's basketball team. And before we go into the stats, or rather Connor goes into the stats, this was an amazing crowd turnout, and... I really wish I could have been a part of it, but just watching it on TV, you could tell the the energy was there, and the, there was a lot of juice in that stadium, and man, oh man, was it. It was exciting to even watch on TV, but with that little bit of fanboying out of the way, Connor has you for stats. Yeah, statistically, this was a uh, really tight game. Just a eight-point margin of victory, and this was back and forth for a lot of the game as well. It, uh, especially a high-scoring fourth quarter, twenty-five points for KU, twenty-four for K-State in that fourth quarter. So back and forth that entire way. But in terms of K-State individual stats, Aoka Lee, she once again went fifty percent from the field, but took more shots, made more shots, went ten to twenty from the field, five to six 
from the free throw line, 25 points to 15 rebounds, two blocks with an assist and just three turnovers. With her usage rate, three turnovers, I can take that. And okay. added on, uh, Serena Sundell, she added 15 points, seven assists, the three turnovers with a steal and three rebounds. She was fairly efficient from the field, four of nine, one of three from three, made all six of her free throw attempts. A lot of those came late in the game, so those were clutch free throw makes from Serena. The Glenn Twins had uh, pedestrian performances, I think is a good way to put it. Jalen Glenn, 4 of 10 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3, 10 points total, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 turnover, and 2 steals. And then Briley Glenn, not as good, had 6 points, 1 of 8 from the field, 1 of 3 from 3, 3 of 4 from the free throw line, had a block, a steal, an assist, 2 turnovers, 3 rebounds. Eber had 2 points in just 15 minutes. And Mackey had 9 points. She actually had a pretty impactful game, 9 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 turnovers, and three steals. So very nice performance from Laura Mackey. Dollinger added two, and then that was it for point scoring from the Cats. They had all around a very good game with the exception of the second quarter where they went two of 11 from the field. Pretty atrocious second quarter there. Granted, both teams shot pretty poorly. Uh, KU was 4-13 in that quarter. Uh, that ended up being an 11-8 to eight quarter, so pretty, pretty poor <laughs> second Got quarter. Some, some high-octane offense there. Yeah, it was it was tough, tough watch. But the Cats, other than that, they shot above forty percent in every single quarter from the field, and they either shot forty percent or zero percent from three in all their quarters. And weird in both stat. times, it was yeah, really a weird stat. And they were eighty six percent, nineteen and twenty two from the free throw line, which ended up absolutely being the difference. Ku wasn't bad from the free throw line, but it did probably cost them the game their willingness to send case eight to the free throw line which ayoka lee you should never do that because it's tempting to hack a shacker but as we know she can make her free throws despite being six foot six ku was 70 percent from the free throw line which was not good enough but now this is a game that was tight the whole way three lead changes five times this game was tied so it was a entertaining sunflower showdown in front of four thousand fans and a packed student section and as, as we know, Jeff Mitty and Aoka Lee on post-game radio, they were talking about how it was the best student crowd that they had seen in their time at K-State. And again, it's a game that Ace and I really, really, really wish that we could have been at, but we both had things preventing us from going. So it was just not meant to be. But we should be at the second one this weekend because we're getting that two Sunflower showdowns in one week. Yeah. That's exciting, and something I want to mention is this game was like you, you look at the the eight point victory and it's like oh that that looks like it was comfortable. No, the fourth quarter did not make this comfortable because we ended up we were up by I think it was ten or eleven at one point, and then they just roared back and it was tied, <laughs> and then suddenly all of the nightmares that have occurred during K State basketball recently came swinging back just I see the TCU and Iowa State losses from men's and women's games just charging back at me I was screaming just no yeah. no yeah it was absolutely terrifying to see uh, KU come storming back in this game because I mean I mean just like look at look at like the play by play analysis K-State with 5 minutes 57 seconds to go they led by 16 and then you advance to two minutes and 50 seconds to go, just three minutes ahead. The game is tied at 57. 
So K-State, in that span of time, they scored three points. KU, on the other hand, they scored 19 points in three minutes. And <laughs> that's horrifying. Scary. Yeah, but luckily K-State was able to lock down defensively, and KU didn't. They scored to tie the game up again to two minutes, 21 seconds to go. They would not score until there were 26 seconds left in the game. And it went from a tight game to very quickly because of K-State's excellent free throw shooting, just being garbage time stat padding. So K-State in the last 93 seconds, all their points were free throws. So they, they, they made some excellent free throws down the stretch. Uh, four of those were by Serena Sundell. So, yeah, it, it was it was a nail biter down the stretch. I, I was watching on my phone covertly, but I was uh, I was I was getting pretty nervous at the end. Yeah, <laughs> I it was getting bad enough to where I even uh, attracted my roommates to come and watch on TV. And if you know, well, Connor, you know one of my roommates in particular. He doesn't watch sports, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but. That wraps up for what has occurred. The next time you will see the women's basketball team is playing number 14, Oklahoma, this Sunday at Bramwich Coliseum. So always show up, support the women's basketball team because they're still in the midst of a really, really amazing season with, and we're going to keep saying it every single week, probably the best player in college basketball right now, or women's yeah. college basketball. Yeah, Aoka Lee is sensational. Uh, you're only going to get this year and then next year, which I believe she has said, she has confirmed that she is going to come back for her final year of eligibility, regardless of what happens. Just because, I mean, the degree is a lot more important because just the, the WNBA just don't make as much money, unfortunately, as you would in the NBA. So it makes a lot more sense to stay all four years and get that degree. And despite the, uh, the losses... K-State is only one game behind in the Big 12 right now because Iowa State, they lost Ashley Jones for uh, for a game against Texas, and they lost by 18. So mm. that, that was a home. <laughs> that, was, that was a home loss for Iowa State. And that game was made a lot closer, honestly, by uh, a fourth quarter where Iowa State was able to just kind of hang around. But it, that's – pretty much how the big 12 is going to be this year i know that people are going to say you know aoka lee's a cheat code we're going to, we couldn't win without her i would say prove that that's the case for anybody in this conference i would say baylor they're barely winning with their star player texas granted they're texas so they just kind of have talent everywhere iowa state without ashley jones they're not going to have a, as much scoring as they normally do and they try to score as much as they can k-state without aoka lee they're going to struggle as well that's just how it's going to be and the Big 12 for women's basketball. You have to have your star. And Aoka Lee's been that so far this year. So we need to cherish her while we have her. So, Yeah, absolutely. Now with women's basketball all wrapped up, we now talk about what could possibly be one of the fastest turnarounds for a team I've seen in a very long while. And that is the men's basketball team. We thought this team was dead just last week. We did. We, we, <laughs> we, it was yep. all doom and gloom. And then Connor was trying to be optimistic. I shot him down. 
And then I shot him down again after the Texas Tech win, which, by the way, spoilers, yes, we ended up beating Texas Tech. And then we ended up beating Texas. We'll get into it at the end, but the team's not dead. (laughs) It's not dead yet. Yeah, this team is far from dead. And it was... I think it was easy to look at it from the outside and assume that they were dead. And we were aware, Ace and I were both, that, you know, it was, a, oh, you know, if you apply context to these games, then, yeah, you can you can look at it and say, oh, well, you know, K-State was missing X amount of scholarship players. They were missing X amount of coaches, all of that. And... It was easy to write it off, but we also brought up, you know, with the context of the last few years, we're kind of tired of excuses. Turns out those excuses were absolutely legitimate because they've now won two in a row with a fully healthy roster and the entire coaching staff. So there is that. Part of that's also just the Big 12 being as volatile as it is. And there's not a single bad team in this entire conference. If Oklahoma State was eligible, I th- I'd say that every team in the conference would make the NCAA tournament. But I'll add an asterisk and say every uh, eligible team, uh, every team that like can actually make it and isn't barred by NCAA mandate for whatever odd reason is going to make it. But K-State, they... Oki got the ban hammer before KU. (laughs) They did. I have absolutely no idea why. All it it did was prove that if you cooperate with the NCAA, you're digging your own grave. So, you know, as much as KU probably deserves to get punished for breaking rules, I can't blame him for not cooperating with the NCAA after seeing what happened to Oklahoma State. No. <laughs> I mean, Oklahoma State, they cooperated, which allegedly is supposed to make it better for you, and they've gotten punished harder than teams that actively impeded investigations, like Auburn. Like Their head coach got a two-game suspension for worse violations than Oklahoma State had. It's kind of beside the point. It's a whole separate rant, but it's something to talk about sometime. Maybe in the offseason. Maybe in the offseason when we're struggling for content. But the first game in this this two-game stretch that we've had of beating top 25 teams comes against us beating what was the hottest team in college basketball in Texas, in the Texas Tech Red Raiders. It was a 62-51 to victory. So a comfortable victory for the Kansas State Wildcats. And a victory in which we outscored Texas Tech by 13 in the second half. Yeah. Uh, This win against Texas Tech, it got close at times. uh, Halftime, you know, it was a two-point lead for Texas Tech. But the Cats came out, and they started to extend the lead late in the game. They really ran away with it in the closing moments. Because this was a game that was within one point with five minutes and 40 seconds to go and 454. But after that, yeah, K-State, they held Texas Tech to just two points in the final 90 seconds, or final 90 seconds, final three minutes and 30 seconds. That's not even close to 90. No. But, <laughs> but they, they held them for a very, very long time. And Texas Tech, they didn't score again until minute 45, and that was it for them after that. K-State, they played absolutely ferocious defense in this game. I think that was the calling card of this game. Watching this game live, that was the... That was what I took from it the most was that they looked like a different team defensively because they were still, they were always good defensively. You know, there's no denying that. But the difference was that it was ferocious defense. It it was energetic. They were flying all over the place. 
the biggest change was that the kickout three was not there as often as it had been in the past. I think somehow it took them almost half a season to realize that teams were just kicking out the three on them because we overhelped on defense, but they kind of figured it out a little bit. It seems Bryson Williams was the only guy on Texas tech to really go off. He had 20 points. Other than that, nobody else hit double figures, including Kevin McCuller, one of the best guys in the entire conference. And then also Adonis arms, I don't know if he's actually a good scorer. He just has a cool name. So yeah, I'm just happy. A, that's an all-name team right there. That, that's an absolutely incredible name. And then they had the return of Terrence Shannon. He only had two points, and he is an all-conference guy. So absolutely sensational game from K-State. Statistically, Nigel Pack led the way scoring. He had 14. Mark Smith had 12. Pack had seven rebounds in this game as well to go with one assist, one turnover. Uh, Mark Smith had six rebounds as well. And he also was fairly efficient shooting five of eight from the field, two or four from three. Marquise Noel did not have the most prolific day scoring. He had seven points, two of eight from the field, one of four from three. However, where he made his mark was in the offensive distribution game and then also being a defensive hound. He had nine assists, just one turnover. Absolutely excellent performance from Marquise. And he had five steals as well, just being an absolute menace on the defensive end. Selton's his he, nickname, isn't it? Menace? menace? I it should some, be. I think someone actually, like, on the team, I don't remember who, but I think that they already confirmed that his nickname is literally Menace. If it isn't his nickname, Menace should absolutely be his nickname because that's exactly what he is. I mean, five steals in a game, that earns you that nickname immediately. Yeah, so. he had seven the last game. <laughs> yeah. uh, rounding out the starters, Celta Miguel, he honestly did not have a great game offensively. Defensively, he's still our best guy. He's a lockdown, so... You know, can't back on him too hard. But three of ten from the field for six points, five turnovers to so just three assists. That's not going to cut it. That's really tough. Then Davion Bradford, in 21 minutes, he only attempted one field goal and had two points, and he had three rebounds and just one block. The bigs have just really, really, really struggled as of late. It's been tough sledding for them. Uh, Mike McGurl, he added a very, very valuable 16 minutes. He has finally settled into the role that I think we've wanted for him the entire time he's been in K-State, and he's finally starting to find it. So it's it's nice to see him figure it out. He had 10 points, 4 or 5 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, 1 assist, the 2 turnovers, and a steal. Can't ask for much better. Mike off the bench other than what we got from him in the Texas game which we'll get to a little later Ish Masood, he only had five points uh, one rebound and a steal pretty uh, pedestrian 20 minutes didn't really do a whole lot Casey added three points off the bench in 11 minutes and two rebounds with a block and Luke Suzuki had three points he made a pretty big three as I recall Yeah. Uh, in the corner he only played seven minutes but he had a big three and two rebounds so I mean if you're going to come in and play seven minutes, give me a big three, make a few hustle plays. Can't can't really complain. I'd like to see more from Luke, but if he's only playing seven minutes, that's a fine stat line. But this was a crazy game. I had absolutely no expectations going into this. And then we just played better than Tech this entire game. Yeah. <laughs> I You and I both had no expectations for this game. It was like, it's an 11 a.m. tip off. No, yeah, I we're not even yeah, it was, be like awake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was in the middle of winter break, so my sleep schedule is just destroyed. 
So I'm sitting there at 11 a.m. on a Saturday. I barely got up for this game. I was just going to lay in bed instead, but I was like, oh, I'll get up and watch it. And luckily I did because it was K-State's best game of the season by far, at least at this point. And it was just a total reversal of what we'd seen. They got the rally haircuts, at least some of them did. And they clearly took the TCU loss pretty poorly, or, or at the very least they took it to where they got angry. And because they, they played just furious against Texas Tech. Yeah, they, that was scrappy. That's the number one way I would describe it is scrappy. Yeah, they, they were just pests. All of them played like they were Marquise Noel, but with the anchor dial turned up to 11. And, <laughs> and that's scary. That is genuinely I, scary. I, yeah, that is frightening. You know, and, and, you know, it's not an incredible shooting day. 43% from the field, solid, and 34.6% from three again not bad 71 percent from the free throw line i mean they weren't shooting the lights out of the building or anything like that but the defense was just excellent tech i mean they turned the ball over 18 times in this game and they only had seven assists uh they shot 23 percent from three and you know, just under 40 percent from the field so K-State, they played excellent defense in this game. They didn't block a ton of shots, but that's never really been their calling card, honestly. they Bruce Weber defenses are not shot-blocking defenses. That's just never how it's been. He, he just prefers denial and contest as opposed to blocking the shot. But, I mean, there's nothing. There's no other way to look at that Texas Tech game other than impressive. And we, we, can, we can monologue a little bit more about what we think about the team and our takes from the past and the current status a little bit after really happened (laughs) we can't verify if the past actually happened yeah true yeah you know we uh we 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 there was never a doubt Mm -mm, never never a doubt not one Mm -mm. not a single one nope next up we ended up playing another top 25 team that is from the state of Texas, and that is the Texas Horns Down Longhorns. And we ended up beating them in Texas 66-65 to and see above on how we played. And also, before we go into stats, Mark Smith did a little trolling, and it's still really funny. <laughs> Yeah, after this game was over, there was a brief amount of confusion on if the game actually ended. And when that was confirmed, Mark Smith just kind of trotted around the court, flashing the horns down, which is essentially a middle finger, and just walked around looking at the student section and that the, like, 18 fans at the Texas game, the Frank Irwin Center. And it, it, I just love Mark Smith and the player that he's become. Because, I mean, he he was definitely the best player on the court that day for either side, other than maybe Marcus Carr, who is just a prolific scorer for Texas. But... Mark Smith was just, he was sensational uh, yet again, just putting this team on his back continuously. And I don't know what else to say about him other than breaking into stats, unless you had anything else you wanted to add before that. Nope. I'm good. All right. Mark Smith, he led the team in scoring, had another massive game like he did against OU. He had 22 points, eight rebounds. One assist to two turnovers. I honestly don't care about his turnover to assist ratio in this game because he went 9 of 14 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3, 2 of 3 at the free throw line. 
I mean, he was just excellent. He had some incredible contested layups and some clutch threes, including one at the end of a shot clock. Up an inbounds. So he was, he was just great. Nigel Pack, he played 36 minutes, had 16 points, two assists, one turnover, and one rebound. He was 7-15 from the field, 2-5 from three. Another high-volume shooting night for Nigel, but he did pretty well. Uh, Nigel had a pretty sick uh, step-back three-pointer where he just absolutely embarrassed a Texas defender where it was like the the fake step-back dribble drive and then double step-back for a three at the top of the key. It's in like every single highlight video of this game. Go look at it. Really Beautiful. satisfying to watch. It's the quickest I've ever seen Nigel Pack move because he's not a laterally quick person. I don't say that as an insult or a joke or anything. I, I do legitimately. <laughs> it's just true. Like, he's just not a laterally fast person. He has straight line speed, but you know, for a point guard, he's not somebody that moves side to side as fast as you would think. But moving on to other starters, Selton Miguel, he played 32 minutes, lockdown defender yet again. He only had five points on two of nine from the field, but he did have five rebounds, only one turnover, which is big. And he had a steal and an assist. So Selton putting in 32 quality minutes as the team's lead defender. He was on Marcus Carr on the final possession until they forced a switch on Nigel Pack. And then Nigel Pack did just as good of a job. So joke's on you, Texas and Chris Beard. And then Mark, <laughs> yeah. let me move on to Marquise Noel, who unfortunately, you know, in all, in all the happiness of winning this game, he had maybe his worst game on the season save for the go-ahead assist, which was a clutch play, but he was 1-7 from the field, 0-2 from 3, made both his free throw attempts, had only four points, unfortunately, in this game. He had one rebound, four fouls, three assists, two four turnovers, and just one steal. Not a great day for Marquise Noel. Texas has a lot of pretty big guards, so it's a tough matchup for Marquise. But regardless, he still played with a great level of tenacity, and his free throws came on a just straight up hustle play. It was a blown possession late in the game, and he charged in when nobody was paying attention, got the rebound, and then got fouled and drilled both free throws. So, I mean, you can't complain too much about that. Then Davion Bradford round out the star- round out the starters. That is, had two points, one of one from the field, two rebounds, three fouls. Another just completely unremarkable performance from one of the bigs. I don't know what to say about him at this point. That hasn't already been said. That the, we said last week. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the front court they they've just been bad, honestly. The front it's the front court, right? Or is it it's the front court. I always get front and back mixed up. I don't know what I don't know why you think I have hope in answering this question, Connor. <laughs> I, I hoped that you knew, but <laughs> we're gonna say front court. I'm at your the big guys. They've been not good recently. So, I mean, for, I'll go through the other big guys right now. Ish Masood, granted, he's kind of a in-between tweener. player. A tweener. Yeah, he had four points, one and two from the field, of one from three, two of two at the free throw line, which, fun fact, Ish Masood is yet to miss a free throw at Kansas State. Really? Yeah. Huh. yeah he's 20 of 20, I believe. So he's going to miss mm-hmm. one to win the game this weekend against KU. Just prepare yourself for that because we just jinxed it. Yeah, of course. We had to mention it. Yeah, I saw it on Twitter somewhere. It honestly might be a lie. I mean, it's it's Twitter. It's no. <laughs> it's Twitter wait, moment. no. Actually, it is not a lie. He is 100 percent on free throws this year. Huh. The more you know. Yeah. Uh, ish. Unremarkable game. Two rebounds, three fouls to go with that stat line. 
Uh, Casey's Yegu, he played six minutes, had one rebound, two fouls, and two turnovers, which is just absolutely abysmal. I mean, yikes. That's bad. Uh, and then Carlton Lingard, despite not scoring and going 0-4 on uh, his shooting, he he might have had the best stat line out of any big in this game. He played nine minutes, had four rebounds. Two of them were offensive. He was clutch in the offensive rebounding game. Which sucks that we're differentiating players through offensive rebounding, and it's not because they were good. It's because they were all bad. <laughs> and Carlton Lingard, he, I think he is dangerously close to usurping Casey Eziaku in the rotation. And it's not because Carlton's been incredible. It's because Casey has just been not Bad. good. <laughs> he, he has been less than stellar this year, to put it lightly. Or the very least recently. He's had his moments this season, but he's just not been good as of late. But the players the player that I skipped over that had a great game is Mike McGurl. He played twenty six minutes, played a lot because Davion and other players taller than like six foot five were not good. And Mike, he went four or six in the field, three or four from three, two of two from the free throw line. He did have four fouls, but thirteen points, three rebounds, no turnovers from Mike. I mean, come on. You can't ask for much better than that. He was clutched down the stretch. He, like I said, with the Texas Tech game, he's finally settling into the role that we have envisioned for him for so long now. And I am loving the new and improved Mike McGurl post-COVID, post-haircut. So it's I've been loving Mike as of late. Little known fact that if you do those two things in conjunction, you you get superpowers. COVID and haircut? Yeah. Well, I just got a haircut today, so I only have one step left. You want me to come over and cough on you? <laughs> I'd actually rather you didn't do that. But thank you for offering. <laughs> anyway, so that is the recap. And now, of course, we're probably going to spend a little bit longer on the preview for this part. Because the next time the men's basketball team plays... It is the Sunflower Showdown in Bramlage this Saturday, or the day after that this comes out. And first things first, this team has shown so much life in these past. They've shown more life in these past two games than I've seen them show in about a year and a half. (laughs) Yeah, you can make an argument for even longer than that. I mean, you could say without much resistance that this is the best we've seen K-State basketball since the Big 12 championship. And it's been since, I mean, I've done an entire college since then. (laughs) (laughs) One unit of college. I have done a whole unit of college currency since then. And (laughs) K-State is about to hand me a piece of paper that says, good job, you did it. And me starting that was around the same time that we were last good at basketball. This is a really convoluted way of me saying I was a freshman the last time we were good and I'm now a senior. And yeah. <laughs> four it, whole years have passed. Yeah, it's been 84 years since we've been good. And now that we're good, I, I'm i starting to wonder when the fall off is or better yet, if there is one. Because the point is totally fair that of our four losses, three of them were by three points or less. And another one, we were leading at half 
and we had seven players available for that game and we so we lose by 13 yeah okay we probably should have and we still played i think close to the best that we could and since we got our players back we've beaten two ranked talented teams that were doing well especially texas tech who like you said they were the hottest team in college basketball i think when they came in here and they because they were coming off of two top five ish top six wins and because they beat baylor on the road number one baylor on the road and they beat ku as well so well first of all by transitive property we beat ku by like eight and exactly and then second of all we beat a very good texas tech team i get the argument about them playing a lot of games that week so it being a questionable result on the other hand k-state is a team with absolutely zero momentum coming off one of the most devastating losses that you can possibly imagine and blowing a six point lead in like 60 seconds and then they're also bringing back players from covid they're bringing back coaches from covid i mean it's it's a tough scene for K-State going to that Texas Tech game. Let's not act like K-State had any of their own advantages other than playing at home. And it's not as if the Bramlage atmosphere on January 15th in Manhattan, Kansas was great because there were still people coming back to town. I wasn't back yet. I don't think you were either. No, so, I wasn't. I, I yeah, couldn't drive in that weather because it was bad. It was bad weather. Yeah, the weather was rough, especially for people driving from pretty far away like Ace and I. And... It, it's not like I said. K State they didn't have any major advantages going into this game, so I I don't want to hear too much of the Texas Tech was tired thing. Terrence Shannon, as I recall, had not been playing that entire week due to COVID, and he's back after this game or in this game, and we hold him to two points in eighteen minutes. So I uh, we shouldn't apologize for that one at all. I don't want to put any asterisks on it. The Texas one definitely doesn't have any asterisks. That's just a hard fought win. I mean, we didn't let them score for like the last three minutes in that game. And we came back, won that, and held Marcus Carr over and over. We clamped him. So this KSA team is on the up and up. And like we said before in the last episode, this is not a talent issue. It never was. Because this is a talented roster, and we knew it. We know that guys like Marquise, Marquise Noel is talented. Mark Smith is talented. Nigel Pack is talented. Even the bigs, even though they're struggling, I know Ish Masood is a talented player. He's in a slump right now. That doesn't mean he's bad. Salta Miguel is an excellent defender. Mike McGurl even is showing that he has talent right now, even though he's kind of struggled this year. It was just coaching. That was the major question mark. And the last two games, it's been good. The situational coaching has been a lot better. At the very least, the results have been better. And talent was never the issue. And I think we're finally seeing that because we, we just go out there and we beat two top 25 teams back-to-back and not positive environments. Yeah. So that kind of brings us to this KU game. This is Everything is peaking at the right time for K-State, it feels like. And what does that mean for this game? I hesitate to give a solid answer because basketball especially college basketball should be considered in a vacuum. Momentum is a thing, but that momentum can be snuffed out at any moment. Mm-hmm. See Texas I, tech. Yeah. See Texas tech. They were dominating and then they come to Manhattan, Kansas and K state looks like 
a top 25 team against them. And now we move to KU. And KU is obviously a good team. Nobody is disputing that KU is actually a very great team. They have one of their better teams in a while. Granted, their one over Iowa State was under suspicious circumstances. I will say that with uh, a grain of salt. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is a this is a really good KU team, and I I worry about pieces on this team and our ability to defend them. Oshai Agbaji is by far, I think, the best player in the Big 12. I don't think it's remotely close either. He's shooting 52% from the field, 47% from three, 74% from the free throw line, 4.8 rebounds a game, 1.3 assists per game, 1.4 turnovers, averaging 20 points a game right now. And he's a fourth-year senior. He's been around for a while, almost went to the NBA last year and decided not to. He's really good. Christian Brown unfortunately is good and they have remy martin they have jalen wilson they have a lot of other annoying people that i don't like and they also have jalen coleman lands for some reason who was really good on iowa state and transferred to ku to average five points a game i don't understand that at all great job great choice yeah, good work jalen coleman lands but this is a ku team that has some great pieces at the top but this is also one of the weaker teams in the post for KU in a long time. David McCormick, he's not as bad as KU fans say he is, I think, but he's still a he's still a good player. Mitch Lightfoot, he's been at KU for ninety years. Yeah, <laughs> and I, uh, I I do not like him at all. And <laughs> I mean, he just looks really annoying, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I mean. I think it's, it's mostly just the uniform. I think it's his, say it's his mouth. I was gonna say, it is his mouth. His mouth is weird. I don't like it. Okay. <laughs> Welcome I mean, to the Aggie Boo Alley Cats. We have takes no, about people's mouths. <laughs> no, look, look up his profile picture right now. Like, go to the ESPN app. Go to KU. Go to Mitch Lightfoot. Look at his mouth. It freaks me out. It's not right. Your mouth is wrong. Your his mouth is wrong. is wrong. His mouth is wrong. I'm sure his breathing's wrong too. <laughs> it, okay. You have a point. But... It's a lot worse when his mouth is closed. I'll say that. It's like curvy. <laughs> I look at it and I think of Slytherin. <laughs> There's, oh, like a, man. there's a 25% chance he's secretly a necromancer. <laughs> it's not even a, secretly anymore. That's not even not like a high percentage, but it's concerningly high. Like, like it's, The chance should be zero, but it's not. Any non-zero chance is concerning. But that's enough about Mitch Lightfoot. I don't want to give him any more airtime. But this is a good KU team. But it's not an invulnerable KU team. Like, there isn't, like, a legion of first-round picks on this team. There is a surefire first-round pick in Oshaya Baji. Christian Brown will probably get drafted. Other than that, Remy Martin will probably get drafted as well. But beyond that, this is a, relatively speaking, more vulnerable team than KU's had in a while. And K-State is riding all the momentum Coming to this game, I'm not here to 
predict a K-State victory. But I am here to say that if you had asked me last week what the percentage chance of us beating KU was, like, the day after the TCU game. Two. Two percent. That's exactly what I was going to say. Two percent. And I actually told that to one of my friends earlier today. He asked me what chance we had of winning. I said, well, if you asked me a week ago, two percent. But today, I would say 30 to 35 percent. So that, not the favorite. We're not but. the favorite, but that is a that's a lot better than two percent. I think my official prediction is we're gonna lose by four. I think that's what's gonna happen. I think it's gonna be back and forth the whole way. KU's gonna make some clutch layups at the end and be happy and stuff. But I think that K State holds their own this game. I think this will ultimately prove that K State is a quality Big Twelve team. I think we'll probably go on the road and lose to Baylor after this. I think we beat Ole Miss. Then we come back and we have Oklahoma State and at TCU. So we have Oklahoma State. I think we beat them. TCU's a revenge game. Who's to say what happens there? But it's going to be, I mean, the Big 12's tough. There's not an easy win here on the schedule. There never is in the Big 12. Um, You just kind of have to hope, honestly, that you catch a team on a bad night or you have a good night. So... But this case, a team is totally different from the one that we talked about a week ago. And I'm happy about it. I, I'm happy that I can, at the very least, care and not always be hurt by Casey basketball <laughs> anymore. Yeah, I, I like our chances a lot more than we had the last week. And just because, you know, I... I'm also like you. I, I think you and I have the exact same take. I, I'm not going to predict a K-State victory. I am going to predict a very close loss, though. Yeah, I, I think that's the intellectual take. And I think a lot of that, honestly, is Bruce Weber teams historically match up very, very well with KU. I think that's why Bruce has struggled historically with teams um, that maybe he doesn't match up with as well uh the Baylors of the world the KU uh that's a team that I think that we match up well with their best talent is on the wings that's where ours is they struggle a little bit more on the interior and we generally have good interior defenders like Idoka Azubuke he met McCall Maywin and McCall Maywin back in 2019 actually played really 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 well against him defensively doesn't mean he was good offensively he never was but he was a defensive wall. And I'm not saying we have a defensive stopper in the post this year, but there's less of an absolute need for one with this KU team because their post game isn't the strongest that they've had. In fact, it's one of the weaker post games that they've ever had, at least in my memory. And on the perimeter, they will be difficult to break through. They have Remy Martin, Christian Brown, Oshayak Baji, and assorted number four player that they will rotate. <laughs> Rando. And, yeah. Yeah. Other guy is who that will be. But I like this matchup to be a tight game. And then also, Bruce, if absolutely nothing else, he knows how to get this team ready for KU because he knows how important this game is. Bruce knows that if he wins this game against KU at home, this will go a long, long way to possibly winning back some goodwill from the fans. I'm not quite ready to give it back just because I'm still in pain from the two losses or the four losses, but the two wins, they do help. 
And I'm not ready to say that Bruce is coming back. It's, I still think the bar to come back is making it's, the NCAA it's tournament. Too, yeah, and I, 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 okay, well, that timeout. Do you think that if we beat KU, our, do you think our tourney chances are still alive? If we beat KU at home, I absolutely think the tourney chances are alive if that happens. Because that would put us at 11 wins, I believe. Yeah. And I think this is a point that Scott Wildcat has been making for a while. I agree with it. It's that if K-State can make it to 18 wins, I think that they make it into the tournament, especially with the pretty common knowledge that the Big 12, top to bottom, is the best conference in basketball, and it's not particularly close. I It, it truly isn't close. K-State would be in the top half of almost every other major conference right now, I would say. Yeah. I don't like, think you're going to get much pushback on that one. <laughs> yeah, the Big 12 is simply sensational. Great coaching at every destination. Yes, even Bruce. And they have great talent everywhere. And if KC, they beat KU, I'm looking at the schedule. They'd have to win at Ole Miss. Then they would have to beat Oklahoma State at home. That takes them to 13. West Virginia at home, that's 14. Then home against OU, that's 15. Then they have to win two out of at Baylor, at TCU, at Iowa State, at Oklahoma State, at KU, home against Iowa State, at Texas Tech. They can get two games out of that. Mm -hmm. They will at the very least stumble into one. And they... I think they should be Oklahoma State on the road. And then everything after that is just extra. And this all rides on beating KU, that scenario, that is. And I think it's a possibility. I don't want to commit to it because that's a, it's a tall order. But I feel a lot better about it right now than I did a week ago. So there's that. Yeah. And we'll leave off on that little bit of optimism. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to reach out and contact the show, we are at Aggieville A Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. And if you want to reach us out on a more personal note, I am at ACEdward00. I'm at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show in a more financial sense, please be sure to check out our official merch store where you have such designs as Play Sandstorm Cowards and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.